Squared Circle Radio with your main eventers, Jason Martin and Brandon Hagany. Welcome in, folks. Squared Circle Radio. Uh, we are not under quarantine. David Reed is not here. No truth to him being quarantined. Currently, we are playing this in an empty arena. Um, Brandon Hagney, Jason Martin with you. David will be on one of these. I promise that will happen at some point in the future. Last time I saw him a couple of days ago, he's he's in a boot, that ligament. And we talked about it a little bit last 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 show a couple of weeks ago, Brandon. Just another one of those freak things that seems to find its way happening to David Reed. Yeah. By the way, you have no idea if I'm under quarantine or not. I'm at, fair I'm at my house, so... I could very well be under quarantine, but I am not. No. That's a fair point. Definitely a fair point. And we'll we'll talk a little bit about COVID-19 as it relates to the pro wrestling scene uh, here in a bit. But last night, we're recording this on a Monday. Just so you know, you'll be hearing this. Who knows when you'll be hearing it, but you'll have the first opportunity to hear it on Tuesday. Uh, last night was the Elimination Chamber. A very long show. I mean, there was some good wrestling on this show. No question about that. The opening matches... We're both very good. There was some booking that was annoying in some respects as well. And then there were some matches that just, they felt like, Brandon, this show, it felt like all these matches didn't have a build that necessitated them trying to go out there and have, like, 20-minute matches, 25-minute matches. And that's still what they did. Like, if this show had been two hours and 40 minutes instead of three hours and 40 minutes, I don't know that that would have been a bad thing for the overall show. No, I, I think the Daniel Bryan and Drew Gulak feud's been pretty good. I think that's been pretty well built. Uh, we're not necessarily watching SmackDown uh, very closely as a show because SmackDown's been largely bad over the last three or four months. But one of the one things that they have gotten right, I think, has been Daniel Bryan and Drew Gulak. And those those two uh, went out there and sort of just tore the house down. I would watch those guys uh, wrestle another four or five times if I could. As long as we stop dropping Daniel Bryan on uh, his yeah. neck, like how about we not do that release German suplex spot again? Uh, we could we could skip that one, but you can keep continue that feud. Uh, I mean, we were talking about this before the mics turned on. Uh, the U.S. title scene right now, that second match on Andrade and Umberto Carrillo, like those two always have a great match, but we have seen that match so many times now. And and even in the middle of this feud that's gone on for about three or four months now, Andrade was suspended for 30 days. Right. Like I think there was some uh, – I think Sean Ross Sapp uh, put out some sort of uh, stat yesterday just talking about how many times those two guys have faced despite the fact that Andrade – uh, was suspended for 30 days in the middle of it, and it's a good match. I get that, but like we just need some new blood in that that, that title scene. Uh, I mean, it seems like it's been the same four guys. It's been Carrillo, Andrade, Angel Garza, who only came up because Andrade was suspended, right? And I think Rey Mysterio. Like yeah. it's basically been those four dudes for the last three or four months. Like, can we please get some new blood? It just seems like that's Heyman wanting desperately to get those guys over. And if you look at it, I don't think Korea was over at all, especially because when they first brought him in and he was starting to do matches on TV, he lost like three weeks in a row. I think AJ Styles beat him a couple of times and somebody else beat him. And he just kind of right there, he was sort of defined as, okay, this is who this dude's going to be. Andrade, we know how good Andrade can be, especially with Zelina as part of that act. I think Angel Garza has unbelievable 
charisma, and I, I enjoy him a lot. And we know Ray is basically a unicorn um, of the past who is still able to get it done and work at a high level. So you know the matches are going to be good, but how invested can you get in them? And this is definitely the classic WWE case of we're running back the same stuff over and over again, and it reeks of Heyman trying to get these guys over, but at the same time, Vince not really caring all that much one way or the other what goes down here. I think probably he likes Andrade, and his tie to Charlotte might actually be helping that cause a bit, but there are a lot of dudes that you could put into this that would be better off or just to just to spice it up. There's a lot of talented guys not doing a lot or seemingly sort of running in place to some degree that, that, that could have made this better. Another example, another like a guy that I think you could put there and have like a decently long few would be Aleister Black, who, quote, air quote, beat AJ Styles last night when really he didn't. I mean, he did get the win after the Black Mass, which looked like it took AJ's head off. But did he really get much out of that, considering that the whole thing was booked for The Undertaker to again destroy the entire OC like he destroyed AJ in, in Saudi which makes me wonder why in the world there's going to be a WrestleMania match at all because Undertaker has destroyed AJ Styles both times they've been in the same ring together. And not only that, like you book this thing as a no disqualification match where there are no rules and then you just have Anderson and Gallows on the outside of the ring. Like you could probably say you could explain that away by saying that you know what maybe AJ Styles uh, went before this match, it's just AJ Styles being a little uh, cocky and thinking that he can go toe-to-toe with Aleister Black all by himself without the help of Anderson Gallows. But, like, WWE doesn't actually show their work there and actually address that, whether or not, you know, with a interview pre-match or with the commentary or anything like that. So, basically, you just have Anderson and Gallows on the outside in a no-disqualification match looking like absolute idiots and only getting involved when it gets to the very end and it's time for The Undertaker to come out. Uh, Right, exactly. And, look, that match is going to be good at WrestleMania, but... This is one of those scenarios where I don't know why you booked the match. Because, At this point. Like, why, why are you doing Aleister Black and AJ when you know you don't want to beat AJ? Because if AJ can't beat Aleister Black, then why has he got Undertaker at WrestleMania? But you want to like be amidst this rehab project for Aleister Black, trying to build him up. So why not put him in something where he can look strong as opposed to he picks off the Undertaker's leftovers after that chokeslam? At this point, would it not make more sense to do a three-on-two tag team match with uh, the OC versus Undertaker and Aleister Black. Uh, That's the way I would go with it. Because to me, you would have the Undertaker and Aleister Black win at WrestleMania. Maybe Aleister Black, who has nothing going on right now, as we we talked about earlier, uh, I think he would get a little bit of rub off of that. And let's be honest, I mean, AJ Styles is 42 years old. Right. Like, I know a lot of people are sort of talking themselves into this match by saying that if anybody can get a good match out of The Undertaker at this point in his life and his career, it's going to be AJ Styles. I'm not necessarily sure I buy that. AJ Styles of five years ago, absolutely. But this AJ Styles, while still very good, I don't see, like, a lot of these matches, and it's gone back over the last couple of years. We've discussed like, remember, this. Remember the Kevin Owens feud? 
the and the Shinsuke Nakamura feud. I mean, he's, I and, think I think AJ's now the three and a half star guy. That's yeah. kind of what he does. Like he's going to give you he's going to give you a very good match, but he's not going to give you AJ Styles, Minoru Suzuki from the G1 tournament five or six years ago. He's maybe not even going to give you AJ Styles versus Roman Reigns from a few months after he entered the company. AJ's just kind of, he's going to be good. Sometimes he's going to be very good. But what's the last great, like, just unbelievable blow-away AJ Styles match that we've seen? Was it maybe the Finn Balor match from... Survivor Series? Right. Like, that might be the last one... I don't know if the Brock match was before that or after that, but it's not. This no. AJ's not the same guy. Wait a minute, that AJ and Finn Balor match wasn't at Survivor Series. That was the it one was where the one before was, that it was because of the sickness or something, right? Yeah, there was Mercy some sort of sickness. Yeah, that went through. No, it was meningitis. Uh, That's right. Yeah, because it, it Finn Bray Balor was supposed to me. was supposed to wrestle uh, Bray. Bray ended up getting it, got taken off of the card. And AJ Styles had to come in from South Africa on a red eye and face Finn Balor, if I remember that correctly. If I'm remembering that correctly. Right. I just don't think that this version of AJ Styles has that fifth gear anymore. So maybe getting it to be a three-on-two handicap match, you can get Aleister Black to carry a little bit of weight there. Like I think that's the way to go with this. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it'd be good for Aleister Black as well, just to, I mean, you tie him to the Undertaker in a more official way. Plus, they kind of look like they would be a team. Like, it looks like the Undertaker would be somebody that would mentor Aleister Black from a yeah. mental standpoint, the same way like Jake Roberts and whatever's going on with, with that. With that, We'll talk about that a little bit later on. But it was annoying just because I thought AJ and Aleister were having a good match and I was enjoying a lot of what was going on. But I was still waiting for what happened. I wasn't shocked at all that The Undertaker was there. Like That seemed like the logical conclusion that they had to get to. And I don't know that the fans... I mean, the fans really loved The Undertaker stuff. I don't know how invested they were in a lot of the other things. But I think that was a large part of the problem all night. Just that Philly crowd sucked, quite frankly. It sucked, yeah. And this is the Philly crowd that we're supposed to think is one of the best crowds in America when it comes to pro wrestling. They did not show it last night. They sucked. Yeah, we had Jordan send us a, a tweet a few days ago, or I guess yesterday, and said, would you rather see AJ Taker or Taker and Alistair versus AJ and OC? Tag match with high Taker's deficiencies and also get Alistair a high spot on card. So that's basically what we just addressed. And you can always hit us up at Zone Wrestling on Twitter. A lot of you sent some questions, which we will get to here in a little bit. The two chamber matches. The tag chamber was a wild match with a lot of spots. Uh, Miz and Morrison, I honestly could not care less. Like, it's not that they're not entertaining enough. I just don't care. And the Usos and New Day just seemed very passe. Lucha House Party was in that match because you knew they were going to do the kinds of things that they did and still not win. Otis is over because of this angle that they're doing on SmackDown with Dolph and Rude. And those two teams went out fairly early. And then we just, I mean, the match wasn't bad. There were a lot of blown spots, but the match wasn't bad. It just kind of, I don't know. The whole thing just, I didn't care enough about, I was not invested enough in all those teams to give a crap about the SmackDown championship. I will say uh, that match started very sloppy. Yes. Uh, which was very surprising considering that that match started with New Day and the Usos. Seemed like Kofi who, was off last night real bad. So was Big yeah. E, actually. Yeah, and, and this these are two teams that have wrestled each other across the world for the last three or four years, like probably a hundred times. And for them to have 
timing issues and, and, and the issues that we saw. It was a little surprising, but the rest of the, like, I, I think after the first, like, eight to ten minutes, this match kind of got into a groove. I think they overcame the sloppy start, and they worked hard. I I agree with you. Like The, the thing that people cared about in this match uh, was heavy machinery and Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode, yes. Robert Roode. And I just feel like this should have been the opportunity to maybe give Robert Roode and Dolph Ziggler the championships or, and have heavy, or give heavy, heavy machinery. machinery the titles. Well, I was going to say and have heavy machinery chase that into WrestleMania. Well, apparently maybe. what they're doing is Otis and Dolph in a singles match at Mania, which baffles me. It's just like, then why are they in tags? Like, heavy machinery has never done anything of note as a tag team. So what you're going to do is, because the angle is between Otis and Dolph, you're going to have them as singles competitors at Mania. I I remember Rick Steiner and his relationship angle with who would turn out to be woman. And she was Robin Green at the time, and she was there. It's not like Rick Steiner worked without Scott during that feud. It was the Steiners versus a team that woman kind of brought in. But it wasn't like Rick Steiner versus Ron Simmons or Rick Steiner versus Butch Reed. There's no reason why you couldn't do a tag and surround this with the titles with that being a story because it's been an interesting story with Mandy and whatever it is they're doing with a text message and you know who is trying to cause all this dissension. And it just, I don't see the purpose. If that's the case, then why are they even tag teams and why are they in a tag team chamber match if we're building to a singles match? Like it just seemed like it was, it's just kind of overthought and very convoluted. And I think, uh, we we obviously know that Otis is sort of the breakout star of heavy machinery. Oh yeah, but Tucker's not bad. But, yeah, props to Tucker over the last like three or four weeks since they did the Valentine's Day spot where you know uh, Otis was late for the date and Dolph was there when he got there. Like I think Tucker sort of stepped up his game character wise, and last night he had one of the highlights with that somersault off the top of the uh, pod, which was you know outside of. Lucha House Party doing a hanging shooting star press yeah, from yeah. the top of the cage might have been the, the highlight of the night in terms of uh, chamber matches. Well, I mean, that or I guess it would have been Grand Metal League doing that. He jumped off the pod and brought Morrison off the top rope with a Hurricane Rana. That was also a pretty, pretty bodacious spot. Both of those were great. The other chamber match, first off, always in the books as main eventing a WWE pay-per-view, Sarah Logan... Liv Morgan, Ruby Riot, Natalia. Like, I'm not going to include Asuka and Shayna because I could see them main eventing shows. These other four, not so much. This was not a particularly strong show on paper from a star perspective. You knew that there were going to be some good wrestling matches here. WWE finishes, be damned. It was still going to be good wrestling. But the way this match was booked, I heard Brian Alvarez say this yesterday, last night, right afterwards, and I agree with him. If you're going to do the Shayna thing, knowing that she's going to run through people, why not bring her out next to last so you only have one of those segments? And sh- and it's mm-hmm. shorter because she goes through all of the other four, does the exact same thing, dominates them all, and then stands there and waits for Asuka as opposed to waiting for Liv Morgan and then waiting for Asuka after a three-hour and 45-minute show where everybody is just spent, exhausted, and dead to many extents. Yeah, the it was just way too long waiting in between waiting for Liv Morgan, which we knew that Liv Morgan wasn't going to hold a candle uh, next to Shayna Baszler. Honestly, I, I can't remember which Royal Rumble it was, 
But you remember when, like, there was a Royal Rumble. It was the one right before WrestleMania 25 uh, that ended with The Undertaker winning. Or 24, actually. The one right before WrestleMania 24 that ended with The Undertaker winning. But it came down to Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker. And basically, those two had, like, an 8- to 10-minute match uh, at the very end. That's what I would have done here. I would have had Shayna come out second to last run through everybody else, do about maybe two minutes of her waiting for Asuka and just sort of standing on the top rope or standing on the middle rope, staring at Asuka, and then let those two have like an eight to 10 minute match, a competitive match. Instead, like Asuka doesn't look good coming out of this. Like I know, I know the whole thing was to make Shayna Baszler look strong. And if that's the one goal that you had going into this match, success, I guess, mission accomplished. But Asuka, what, just a month ago, was the person that Becky Lynch couldn't beat? And now Asuka's kind of a afterthought. Exactly. Uh, it's really the only reason Asuka was getting what she got was because they let her beat Becky last Royal Rumble, which didn't make any sense, and they had to find a way to pay that back to let Becky get her win back. But this was all about Shayna, and I think they made her well, but if there had been just the one waiting period, it would have been better. This is not the same as Brock Lesnar in the Royal Rumble in January because those are two-minute intervals or a minute and a half or whatever they want them to be. These are five minutes, which, first off, that may need to be revisited. Maybe make those three minutes. And I don't just mean in the women's match. I mean overall. Maybe they don't need to be five-minute segments because you can get everybody in there and still go as long as you want to go. There's enough space around that to work all those people without them getting in their way Instead of, here's five, here's five, here's five. I mean, even War Games wasn't five minutes. It was five minutes to start, and then it was two minutes all the way through until you get everybody in the ring where you can actually start to put people out. I just think five-minute intervals creates problems, especially if you're trying to do this, because this makes sense to make Shayna look dominant, but it bored the tears off the crowd and probably most of the people watching. because And it's not Shayna's fault. I mean, Oscar was pretty entertaining in her pod before she came out of there, but they had to sit there arbitrarily and wait for a clock to stop before they opened this pod. And it was just, this show had gone on forever. They had played like all these videos and stuff that they did not need to do. And it's just, once Liv Morgan got eliminated, then how about we make an arrangement where Oscar comes out 30 seconds after? Like, figure right. something out to stop that from happening and then oscar comes in and gets beaten and i think it was around four minutes one thing i will say though is that Shayna looked very good in terms of the way that they booked her and what she did to Liv morgan throwing her into or kind of like careening her into that pod that looked devastating like that looked absolutely perfect the one optic problem i had with this and i want to see if you saw this or if you agree i did not like the way becky was reacting watching this in the back it seemed like she wasn't taking Shayna Baszler seriously. I don't remember anybody in her role. I know she's this you know, no-nonsense last kicker and all of the stuff that she tries to pull with the man and all this, but I do feel like she should have looked at Shayna, not afraid, not Seth Rollins the fiend, not that, but just with a healthy level of respect, like, okay, she can go. I'm ready for her. I'll take her. But she can go. And that's not. Like, she had this smirk on her face. She was almost grinning half the time. That, it rubbed me the wrong way. Maybe I'm the only one. No, and 
I think they kind of uh, Becky Lynch has been kind of cracking jokes. Like she was on what the announce table last week with sunglasses and a crown on, and like it, it, she's kind of gotten away from that super serious part of the man, like the super focused, like and it's almost gotten a little jokey to me and maybe in the buildup we see in the next four weeks or so, like we'll, we'll see her get back to that version of the man. But I, I sort of agree with you. I also think that, like, yeah, the five minutes in between uh, entrances and people getting into the match were a problem. Also the people in the match oh, were yeah. a problem because like, who wants Good to point. watch like Natalia and Ruby riot start this match for five minutes. Like, like if, if you threw that, if you threw, a, a five-minute Natalia versus Ruby Riot match on an episode of Main Event, no one would care. And this was the main event uh, of Elimination Chamber. Also, like, they were not good together either. Um, and were, Sarah, Lo- Sarah Logan was apparently hell-bent on just injuring Natalia. Yeah, and why is Sarah Logan mad at Ruby or Liv? Like, I understand the Ruby-Liv thing because Ruby came back and attacked Liv. Uh, was it at the Rumble or after the Rumble on TV? I can't remember exactly. It was after when the it, Rumble. Yeah, after the Rumble. And okay, so there's an there's an issue there. We don't know necessarily why, but there's an issue there. But why does Sarah Logan give a crap? Like, what what is her role here to hate both of them? Like, there was never an angle. Not to mention, the Riot Squad were uh, excuse me, the Riot Squad were treated like such jabronis, such afterthoughts, such meaningless nothings. The whole time they were a faction, why in the world do I care at all about anything surrounding them when they have not told me a story that should invest me in any way? I know that most of your big stars, quote-unquote, in the women's division are sort of tied up in other angles right now. Why can't you do three Raw people and three SmackDown people and put them in the chamber? Yeah, like this match could have used a Sasha, Naomi, like anybody, man, because this was... This thing was hurting, man. Like, I don't want to disrespect... Like, I know we're just, like, burying Sarah Logan right now. And, like, Sarah Logan seems like a nice person, but, like, just the way she's been built, the way she's been booked... Uh, since coming up from NXT, like we joked about this around the Survivor Series, like just because they needed someone to round out a women's team, they called Sarah Logan, Sarah Logan up for main event. Like that has been her lot on the main roster. Like and no Sarah one's Logan gonna... that almost killed Dana Brooke on main event with that thing from behind. Remember, remember that spot where Dana Brooke was like on her knees on the apron. And Sarah Logan came running behind her, and I think it was a knee, and she just, like, nearly killed Dana Brooke. Like, that video was put online. Like, it may have even been a house show. Whatever it was, I think it was Logan. Like, Logan's stuff, she lays it in in a way that I'm not sure that you want somebody to lay stuff in. Yeah, that dive off of the pod uh, where she 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 was supposed to land on Natalia and Ruby both. Uh, she landed on both of them. It's yeah, just she did. like uh, Natalia just ate a knee, man. It's just golly. Yeah, that match just, I mean, can you believe that was the main event? I mean, it just shows there wasn't much. I mean, if you're going to just think about it in the ring, the tag would have made more sense there. But I understand Shayna should have been in that spot to end the show. I definitely do. And I like Shayna, and I see a lot there. And I'm looking forward to seeing the angle and whatever they do with, with her and Becky. But the match, whew, the match was a struggle. Not anything Shayna did. Shayna looked exactly what the way you would want her to look, and the stuff with Oscar was fun while it lasted. But 
I don't know that it uh, that it accomplished much else. So when you're looking at, was there anything before else to we say move on? Elimination Chamber. Before we move on. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, what the hell does "Unleash Your Legacy" mean? I, I would love to know. Because that was from Natty's ta- promo. Yeah, Nat, Natty says she, I don't know, dedicates her Elimination Chamber match to Beth Phoenix. Right. And then says she's going to unleash her legacy. And then Tom Phillips drops the same line. Uh, twice on commentary during that match. Like I, I've been racking my brain for almost 24 hours now on what the heck unleash your legacy means. I mean, uh, like, is that what we're going with for a catchphrase for Natalia? Now they need to, they need to workshop that thing. Focus group that thing. Yeah. Like catchphrases don't need to be thinkers. They need to be people wearing shirts that say I pin Cody. Like, they need to be very simple and easy and to the point. But anything else to say about that show? Street Profits and um, Seth and Murphy went forever. Montez Ford. Let me tell you one thing about Montez Ford. I love Montez Ford. I love his athleticism. I love how high he jumps. I love, like, how excited he gets. He needs to take it down a notch because he's blowing spots because he's too excited. Like, almost every time he comes in off a hot tag, something's going to go awry. Now, he's green. And he'll be able to harness that some, but he's too good to be so sloppy simply because he can't bring himself down from like a 10 to a 7.5. We talked about Andrade and Umberto Carrillo and just wrestling forever. This was the third time in 10 days that we saw the Street Profits versus Seth Rollins and Murphy. We saw it in Saudi Arabia. We saw it the next Monday on Raw. And then we saw it at Elimination Chamber. And this match was the most Monday Night Raw match I have ever seen in my life. With uh, the Viking Raiders coming down to take out AOP. Kevin Owens, who has taken up the mantle from Dean Ambrose of just the dumbest character on the show from week to week. Uh, just waltzing out with a, a box of popcorn. Uh, it's This was overbooked. Like It's not something that should have been on a pay-per-view, quite frankly. No, especially not a long show that we knew was going to go past three hours even without it. So I, I don't think that that worked. Is there anything we've forgotten about on this show? Or have we talked about everything that matters here? I think, we're pre- I think we've pretty much covered it. Yeah, okay. Um WrestleMania, before we shift gears to other promotions, Goldberg Reigns, Drew McIntyre, Brock Lesnar, Charlotte Rhea Ripley, now officially Shayna Baszler and Becky Lynch, AJ Styles, Undertaker, uh, and then we're going to see what else happens. The expectation is Otis and Dolph in a singles match, I guess, with their partners in their corners, and Mandy will come out and probably play the key role in whatever happens there. Um, I know where... I know I'm not like... You know, blazing some new trail here. This is very well covered uh, territory. But the top four matches at WrestleMania are going to be like some form of Brock Lesnar, Drew McIntyre, uh, John Cena, The Fiend. Yeah, I forgot about Cena and The Fiend, which, man, uh, what a terrible setup that was. Yeah, you didn't like The Fiend pointing at the WrestleMania sign? Like, what the hell was that? He lost the title, didn't care. John Cena came out and cut his, uh, I need to leave this for other people. I don't have a pathway. I'm not going to do anything at WrestleMania. And then Which the he fiend, did, what, was three years ago he cut that same promo? Exactly. Remember when he was doing the whole deal about how he didn't see a pathway if he didn't win the Rumble, which is one of the yeah. most preposterous things we've ever seen. We were joking about how, hey, man, Titus O'Neil ain't got a match on WrestleMania. Like, you can, 
you can find somebody else. But one forgotten little gem about this particular match, some of you I'm sure it has not been forgotten, but every time I see it, I'm like, they had this match at WrestleMania 30. Like, Cena and Bray Wyatt have already wrestled one another mm-hmm. at a WrestleMania. But why would the Fiend point to the WrestleMania sign like he cares? Right. Like he just won the Rumble. Well, right. My point is, like, the top four matches uh, of this show are going to be in some order. Like I said, Brock Lesnar, Drew McIntyre, John Cena versus The Fiend, AJ Styles versus The Undertaker, and Edge versus Randy Orton. Yeah, which, oh, I forgot about Edge and Randy, which that's a great angle. And that's a great, I, I great can't angle. I can see that. But uh, let's let's just like kind of go through here. Randy Orton, 38 years old. AJ Styles, 42 years old. Brock Lesnar, 42 years old. Uh, Edge is 46 years old. Goldberg's John 53. Cena, uh, John Cena's 42 years old. Goldberg's 53. The Undertaker is 54. Roman Reigns is kind of the and Drew McIntyre are the only ones that are not quite that old. Like you remember back in like the the like 94 when Hogan left for WCW Mm -hmm. and they tried to put Randy Savage on the commentary table, new generation, new generation. Like back then Vince, like if you got, once you crossed over the 40 year old threshold, you were done according like to Vince McMahon, like Vince McMahon was done with you. Now, if you're, if you cross the 40 year old threshold, you've got like a decade of headlining WrestleMania is in front of you. That's right. Uh, that should be good for some of these older guys that are just now sort of getting a little bit of comeuppance. I mean, Keith Lee sitting in NXT, my man's 35 years old. So that's good for him. And Balor's getting close to 40 as well, I think. Like, there's a lot of these dudes, you're right, are, are what they are. Roman and Goldberg is probably not going to go very long. I think it's probably going to be pretty good for what it is. I think it'll be fun. Brock and Drew seems like the opportunity. I think they've done a good job with Drew. I think you strap the rocket to him and let him beat Brock. But I've said that before, and they have not done it. But that's what I would do. I would let Drew just look strong, not have to nut his way, like nutshot his way to beating Brock Lesnar. Just go out there and get it done and let him be a baby face who's dominant and let him carry that title for a few months, build yourself up a heel, and then do whatever it is that you're going to do. But... I think you go all the way with Drew McIntyre. We we love him. I mean, we've talked about him for years. They've got him in a spot where I think the fans will buy it. No, I I agree with that. I I totally think that they should pull the pull the trigger on Drew at WrestleMania. But I just hope, like I hope it doesn't become what we saw with Seth Rollins last year, where Seth Rollins beats Brock Lesnar at, at WrestleMania, and then just immediately right at the next Saudi Arabia show, Brock Lesnar gets his championship back and basically just nerfs any momentum that Seth Rollins had at the time to the point where we had, we had to turn him heel and now he's doing this Monday night Messiah gimmick. Right. I just hope that if we pull the trigger on Drew McIntyre and you look up a month later and ratings haven't changed, like don't bring back Brock Lesnar to beat him and then start this process all over again while trying to find somebody else to beat Brock Lesnar next year at WrestleMania. Fiend and John Cena, uh, I have no idea. Um, I mean, Fiend has lost the title. I don't know that that character is going to be with us for very much longer. 
I don't know what these. I don't know what the story is supposed to be here. Cena obviously doesn't need to win. If he does, then they have to be killing off the Fiend character. Like, there's no real reason. There's no, nothing that you lose that you gain by Cena going over. It's nothing that hurts him by losing. If you want to do anything with the Fiend, then the Fiend should come out of this thing victorious. Yeah, but I would like to just don't. I kind of want to see him. it over, but don't kick out of like fourteen finishers. Like, I mean, if you're gonna have the fiend win, and I I think that that's the way you should do it. Just you just gotta dial back a little bit on what the fiend has been. Yeah. Um, AJ and Undertaker. There's no reason to put the Undertaker over, but it's not gonna hurt AJ to lose. So I imagine that AJ will not win here. This will be good. I, I, it's not gonna be like Shawn Michaels Undertaker. Like that's that's not going to happen. I think it'll be good. Yeah, I think it'll be good. I think that's why think you put him be, in there with AJ because AJ's going to be able to make him look better than a lot of other people are at this stage. I think it'll be decent. I don't know that I would go as far as to say it'll be good. I just have a feeling AJ, as much as he loved the business and as long as he has cared about it, Undertaker's got to be one of those names where he really wants to go out there and have something at least semi-memorable. I'm not saying this is going to be up to the level like even CM Punk and Undertaker from 29 – I mean, that was so long ago at this point in time. But I, I feel like A.J. really is going to want to put on that kind of performance. Now, I've said that about Randy Orton in the past, and it has not been true. But I think this is going to be surprisingly good and surprisingly dramatic. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. And then Edge, Randy Orton, I don't know if there's long-term planning here or not, but this just seems like Edge gets this thing back. I mean, he's going to be on Raw tonight. It might actually be happening as we are recording because we're recording after my show, so Raw has already started. And guess what? I just saw Rey Mysterio and Angel Garza are going to wrestle tonight. <laughs> just want to put that one out there for you, since we already discussed that. I mean, I'm sure that match is good. I'll watch it, but the reason I'm sure it'll be good is because I've already seen it multiple times in different incarnations. But uh, Edge Randy Orton, I feel like, is just going to be a really solid professional wrestling match. It's going to be built around a few spots where Randy's going to look like he has severely injured and maybe like greatly harmed the future of Edge. It has to be, and this maybe we use this as a bridge to get to AEW Revolution, which is something that we haven't talked about right. in podcast form yet. It needs to be a grudge match. Like, do not start this match with like 10 minutes of lollipopping like we saw with Cody Rhodes and MJF yes. at AEW Revolution. Yes, and we will get there. But real quick before we disappear from WWE, um, coronavirus and WrestleMania. We don't know what's going to be true a week from now. We don't know what's going to be true a month from now. There's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of bad information. There's extremes in panic, and there's extremes in this is a nothing burger um, I'm not a medical professional. My wife's a physician, obviously, so I listen to her on some of this. I do think that 160 countries worth of people combining into Tampa is a recipe for disaster, but I find it hard to believe if Vince goes to Saudi Arabia during the Jamal Khashoggi situation that he's going to cancel this. Even if the NBA and everybody else is canceling stuff, I feel like Vince is going to have to be dragged away from WrestleMania uh, almost like in leg irons. Or this thing's still going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I I can't see, especially now that we're, what, 28 days away? Like, it's not like we're, you know, Four weeks three from months yesterday. away. 
Yeah, so 27 days now. It's not like we're three months away, like we're here, like we're hearing right now with the Olympics, where they're talking about maybe pushing that back to the fall or something like that. Uh, I don't think there's any way that they don't do WrestleMania because of this. I just don't. I don't see it. Would you go if you cared about the card? And I mean, you may not, but if you were, if you had tickets right now, would you be worried about making that trip? Yeah, I would. I'll be curious to know if people do change plans or if all of a sudden they can't fill it up the same way or like keeping an eye on the secondary market. And like, would you go to the Hall of Fame at this point? Maybe you wouldn't. Maybe the class isn't that inviting for you anyway. But uh, getting away from large gatherings, I mean, there's a lot of countries right now that are banning gatherings of more than a thousand people. France is one of them. For example, when Italy is canceling sports for the rest of the month, and I mean, we already see Italy them. is basically on lockdown. Yes. Like the entire country is on lockdown. Right, right and then you've got New Japan and uh, DDT and All Japan and Stardom, and they've already done shows in empty buildings and things like that. So, I mean, there's. I'll be curious to know if there's any pressure put on Vince McMahon. And I would say this the one thing I do look at with this potential crisis getting worse in the short term. If you're going to go to things, then they've got to be appointment stuff. They've got to be stuff that you just can't live without, that I'm not going to change my plans because I love this. But if I got XFL tickets, I'm sitting at the cut. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like, why would you go then? Like, oh, I've got to go to the XFL to see the, you know, the Battle Hawks or whatever. Like, that, they could take a real serious hit on their attendance. Only thing it might save them is they're already halfway through their regular season. So maybe there's not that much more, and it's not going to be so bad that people aren't going to things over the next month or month and a half. Maybe it's going to get worse after that. Maybe it's not. But the XFL is one where if I was in that office, I would say, hmm, attendance to some of these games could be a bit sketchy. Before we move on, you kind of briefly mentioned that the Hall of Fame class, like if you had tickets to the Hall of Fame, you might skip that one, uh, not only because of the coronavirus, but because of the quality of the class. And I just want to say, like, you don't want to see Sean Waltman become a two-time WWE Hall of Famer? I mean, I love the NWO. I loved, I mean, it helped bring me back to caring to a, to a gigantic degree about pro wrestling when that all happened in 96. But, I mean, no, not not really. <laughs> Like, I just wanted to basically use that as a bridge to just talk about this induction specifically. Because, like, to me, it needed to be Hogan Hall and Nash or nothing. Right. Like, I'm not sure why we are just randomly uh, throwing in Six or Sean Waltman. Like, there's a reason he was called Six. He was the He was technically the seventh member, but one of them was... Uh, one of them was like fake Sting. Yeah, well, one of them was I NWO think. Sting, and one of them was Ted DiBiase. But the thing yeah. about it is, the fourth member was the it's Giant. The Giant, who you employ, <laughs> and I'm assuming have a pretty good relationship with. And I would, I would hazard a guess to say most people uh, would, when they s- talk about the NWO, they're going to get to the Giant before they get to six. Yeah, like they're go like the Giant to me means a whole heck of a lot more in the history of the NWO than Six did. Yeah, well, I mean, the NWO was a trio, really. Everything that came off of that was built off the success of that trio. Like, if you wanted to put a fourth member in there that made any sense to me, it would be Bischoff. Yeah. 
without without a doubt. As a matter of fact, okay, or, or Scott Norton. I mean, <laughs> or Stevie Ray, or, or Buff Bagwell. Yeah, here we go. Here we go. We're going right down that pathway. Here comes BK like, Wall Street. There's like, I actually had a conversation with a friend of mine about this the other day because he was watching SmackDown and I guess uh, the NWO, quote unquote, with without Hogan, uh, were on a moment of bliss. And we got into this conversation. There were 63 yeah. members yeah. of the NWO. Yeah, it wasn't 63. Good, yeah, it got a little out of hand. I mean, if you weren't in the NWO, you sucked. That's like the old Mick Foley promo where there were so many titles. He said, if you weren't a champion in this company right now, you really suck. When he cut that like fake shoot promo the week of the Survivor Series, and uh, I guess it would have been 2001 during the invasion or whatever. But, yeah, 63. I mean, you think about Vincent and Stevie Ray and Brian Adams and Horace Hogan. Uh, the list gets bad. Let's get the disciple. Bad. Yeah, Ed Leslie. Um, yeah, it gets bad. Let's talk about revolution. Um, sure. and, and I guess dynamite after that. Where do we start? Oh, I know where we start. Neck tattoos. Oh. What in the name of Jehoshaphat was Cody thinking? Apparently, Brandy doesn't like it. Big shocker. Apparently, or you have to. If I'm Tony Khan, I'm like, bro, are you out of your mind? Cody's trying to act. He's trying to do all these like public appearances and all this kind of stuff. My man can't cover that with a turtleneck because of its location, its brightness, all of this. Like on the scale of bad decisions that could have been avoided that had no real upside, this is way 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 up near the top of the list. Just an unfathomably bad decision. Like and the thing is, it's not a bad tattoo. Like if he if he rolls out in Revolution with that thing on his arm, people will be like, "All right, yeah, okay." Like, all right. <laughs> this is the best best description I heard of this was Brian Last. He said, "He said Cody has a neck tattoo. He has a chest tattoo on his neck and a neck tattoo on his chest. That's actually, because that's he really could have good. Dream as a neck tattoo." That that looks like the kinds of things you see, you know, people that are incarcerated have. But like any other thing that that has been pointed out by a few people is if you're going to get this awful tattoo, make it a stipulation where if you lose the match to MJF, you're forced to get this. Like the only person Pharaoh probably doesn't like this. Like <laughs> this is when I saw it, I said, OK, temporary tattoo, a couple days, it'll wash off. It's just a new thing. It, one, it's the only thing I saw during that match. I think it greatly harmed our ability to actually enjoy what was going on, which it needed the help, I would say. And then secondarily, it's just such a bad decision for an executive vice president to make. There's a reason why Vince put that like clause deal where you can't just go get tattoos and haircuts and all this without the office at least knowing about it. Because you are, you're the asset. You're the property. You are the product. You can't just change the product without the offense, uh, the office knowing it. And I just have a hard time believing that Tony Khan knew what this was going to be before it happened. Like, and it's and the fact that it's just like if you are going to go with a neck tattoo, like it works on a guy like Aleister Black. It right. works on a guy like The Undertaker because there are other tattoos around it. 
Like, you can't just have one neck tattoo. Like, you can't just, like, throw one thing. Like, I, I know Cody's got the, the pectoral tattoo that says dream in cursive. Uh, but like that's his only tattoo. Like right. the rest of, and that's a pretty small tattoo. It's not very large. Like the rest of his body is just like there's no ink whatsoever. So then you can't just throw out this like bright blue logo that's gigantic on the side of your neck. Like it's just like it looks like. I think somebody on Reddit said this. It looks like. Uh, like on a WWE 2K video game where you're creating a wrestler and you're trying to design a tattoo, but you don't necessarily, you don't understand the process of moving that tattoo around the body. So it just shows up on the neck and you're like, well, I don't know how to move it. So I'm just going to leave it there. Like that's what this looks like. It was, it's just unbelievable to me. And then, so here comes the match, which first thought, like another thing, another thing, somebody needs to sit Cody Rhodes down because also let's not do a live rendition of that song ever again. We, we, we love Cody Rhodes on this show. Yeah, we do. Like we have called him so many times the best baby face in professional wrestling, but on three pay-per-views now we have seen, what was it all out last year where he did the throne spot with a sledgehammer as a shot at triple H And then what was it? Full gear where he had everyone dressed up in Star Trek uniforms. Yeah. And then he rolls out here with like this god awful neck tattoo and the band down straight who performs, who did his theme song, which is a pretty good theme song. But if you would have told me during that performance, they heard this song for the first time 90 seconds before walking out here, I would have believed it because that was the worst live performance of a song I've ever seen at a professional wrestling Also, show. we don't need Stephen Amell. Like, there's just a lot of things going on here where Cody is just paying himself fan service. Like, the stuff he likes, he's just throwing it at you. And you can do that on the indies, and you can do that from time to time, but Jim Ross don't know what to say about this stuff. Like, people are just kind of lost watching Cody because it's like to an audience of one – some of these weird things, and then everything else makes all the sense in the world. What I love is just the fact that Brandy is apparently not happy about this. How did Brandy not just put a kibosh on this and be like, uh, no, son, uh, like, no, hubs, you're not getting a three colored neck tattoo the size of the state of Georgia <laughs> on the side of your face? Why wouldn't somebody like the Young Bucks or anybody else just say, bad idea, bro? This is not the one to go with. Like, it just didn't make any sense. So you get to the match. Cody has gone through hell to get to this match. He's been lashed ten times. He's had to out-duel Wardlow in a cage, nearly kill himself coming off of a 4,000-foot cage. He hasn't been able to touch MJF despite being pushed to the brink over and over again. This match starts, and it looks like, okay, they're not just going to lock up and have a match. And then basically that's what they did. Not to mention Cody tried to pin MJF like two minutes in. Cody should never have gone for a pin, or at least not for 15 or 20 minutes. He's been dying to get an MJF, and the first chance he gets, he wants to pin him. Like, that just did not ring like... Cody seems to me to have a smarter wrestling IQ than his character behaved to open this thing. He should have exploded out of the corner, tackled, tackled MJF to the ground, and just rained punches down on him. That should, that's how this And that match should have busted MJF open like a minute into the match. 
if they're going to do blood, they needed to do it then. And and there was at least some speculation that MJF's not used to bleeding, so he had to go do it off camera and had to do it on the ground. But there was no reason for him to actually get color based on what we were seeing in the match. You and I were texting during this match, and it, it reminded me of WrestleMania 25. If you remember, that show uh, ended right after The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels tore the house down. It ended with Triple H versus Randy Orton in the main event. And that storyline, the build to that match, could not have been better. Like, it was super personal. There was a, a, a Raw segment at one point where Triple H is handcuffed to the ring, to the to the ropes. Randy Orton RKO's Stephanie McMahon and, like, gives her a kiss as she's unconscious on the mat. And you have, like, Triple H trying to reach out to get to Randy Orton uh, and can't reach him because he's handcuffed to the ropes. Perfect. Just the build could not have been better. And then they went out and just had a basic 15-minute wrestling match. Like, yeah. You can't, you can't have these, like, personal builds and then just have a basic, like, catch-as-catch-can wrestling match. Yeah, and, I mean, it picked up in the second half. They tried to do more, but, I mean, they're working chin locks in this thing. And I could see MJF maybe wanting to do some of that, but not Cody, not in this match. The other thing that was weird is, like, why is Brandy jumping off on Wardlow, who hadn't done anything to that point in the match? Like, that was just the Brandy Rhodes needs to be on TV spot, which eh, I don't know. I can understand Arn being out there. Brandy has to find a way to be on camera, so she's going to be out there with Cody all the time. I don't know that it's always a good thing for her to be there. The finish was exactly what I told you I thought it would be, which is MJF needing to win the match Um, because now you've got a feud. Although, we flash forward to Dynamite where Cody's going to get sidetracked with Jake the Snake Roberts acquisition and MJF's actually invoking the name John Moxley in his promo. I know that Cody and MJF aren't done yet, but this seems like they should be kind of attached to the hip and married to each other for the next handful of months instead of they're going to do this and then disappear and come back to it six months from now. I can understand, I guess, if they want to do this for years that they've got to space it out, but this just seemed very incomplete, and now Cody has to deal with something else. He's already had to go through this one time where he had to deal with the butcher and the blade, and he had to deal with people while he was also messing around with Jericho. There's just like, it's a little schizophrenic surrounding Cody a lot of the time. Yeah, but at the same time, like, we just we just talked about WWE beating something into the ground. And I don't think AEW was in any danger of beating oh, Cody no. versus MJF into the ground. That's not what I'm trying to say here. But, like, I can appreciate the restraint of, okay... So we had this, now let's have them go their separate ways for a little bit, and maybe three or four months down the road they meet again. Like, I can can sort of appreciate that restraint. Like, I agree with you, probably could have gotten a couple of more matches out of this feud, but I would rather them leave you wanting more than do it a million times and get to the point where the audience is like, okay, I am sick of this. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a happy medium there. Um and I don't know that Moxley and Jericho are finished up either based on how Dynamite ended, but uh, the other thing that I told you was I thought if Cody lost, Moxley had to win, that one of those guys had to come out with a victory. And that's indeed what they did, and it surprised some people that Jericho lost the title. Maybe it was too soon, but 
this was about as anti-WWE as it gets in that they have a red-hot baby face in John Moxley, and they're not going to cool him off by beating him. They are instead just going to strap the rocket to him, let him win this thing. And now if Jericho wins it back, that's fine. That's not going to hurt Moxley, especially if he's screwed out of it. Him winning the title, it just felt very refreshing because we have not seen it done this way in a while. No, I agree with that. Um, and I think Moxley was sort of the perfect guy to take the title off of Jericho. I saw some people sort of like complaining that, oh, a WWE guy is the first champion and he drops the title to another WWE guy. But at the same time, I mean, there's something to be said. Like these are the two guys that everybody knows. Like, I mean, you have to get eyes on your product somehow. You can't just make like Darby Allen champion when nobody knows who Darby Allen is. Like you have to get eyes on your product. And I think going from Jericho to Moxley is the way to do it. Yeah, and I think that you are slowly but surely seeing the top babyface maybe in the company being built. I mean, Darby's certainly in that discussion, but if they keep doing this with Adam Page, they can get out of Adam yeah. Page what they wanted from Adam Page originally, a match with Jericho where everybody is behind the hangman. Like, they have gotten him over so well, and my goodness, that tag match with the Bucks and Omega and Page, I, everybody speaks in hyperbole, but it really was about as good as you can find. I mean, even Jim Cornette liked it. It had the Young Bucks in it, and Cornette didn't really have anything negative to say about it. Like... This that thing was just a it was a work of art, especially if you had been following the story and knew what you were watching, because there was so much intrigue in the way the fans were reacting in every move that those four gentlemen made during that match, because you did not know who was going to be aligned with who at the end of it. No, and yeah, there was a lot of like kickouts and stuff like that, which is, you know, we can complain about that uh, till we're blue in the face. I actually texted you during that match and, and said that I appreciated that they were mixing in some breakups instead of just kicking out of everything. And that, you know, when you're doing a tag match, you're allowed to do that. Like, that's that's a good way to break up the monotony of just kicking out of 9,000 finishers. But I, I would say that this is probably, I know it's a, a short history, but this is probably the best match in the history of AEW. Oh, oh I don't think there's a question about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could probably throw Cody and Dustin uh, somewhere in that top three, and there's a couple of other Young Bucks. Really... Young Bucks and Lucha's ladder match was awfully good. Uh, Pac yep. and Omega in that 30-minute Iron Man match, speaking of a lot of things being kicked out of, was very, very good. Um, but I, I think this was the top of the heap, and it's definitely like this and the Revival O'Reilly and Fish match are the two tag matches that really stand out over the last couple of years. I mean, this is back to that like DIY and revival and all the stuff that they were doing years ago but i love this match i really did i want to go back and watch it again now that i know how it ends and everything so i can just kind of watch the story unfold because i'm in the know now you can kind of watch for the details but it is definitely among the best tag matches i've seen in a very very long time all four should be extremely commended for their effort but the entire purpose of this match was to get adam page over and boy oh boy did they do that he was over like rover not just in in this match. I think he got the biggest pop coming out on Dynamite with the beer on Wednesday night. I think he got a bigger pop than Moxley did. Yeah, and just, the Young Bucks got booed in Chicago. Yes. 
Chicago of all places. Like I can understand Chicago going crazy for Hangman Hangman Page because you know I, I know we sort of dogged out the Philadelphia crowd earlier in the show, but the Chicago crowd is usually one of the smarter crowds uh, in terms of professional wrestling that we have in America. So the fact that they were going crazy for Hangman Page is not surprising at all. The fact that the the reception was so mixed for the Young Bucks, like I was very surprised by that. And I, it, I think but, it caught the them off was, guard a little bit. At the beginning of the match when they were kind of booing the Young Bucks, there was a look on Matt Jackson's face where he was a little surprised, but I think it was a good thing because I think the Bucks are better heels than they are baby exactly. faces anyway. I was going to say that you could tell – yeah, they were surprised by it at the first, but they leaned into it throughout the match. Like they leaned, like especially Matt. They are Matt Jackson. Uh, I think I think you're right there, but they leaned into it, and I think they're really good at playing just like arrogant pricks. Yeah, I think they're very good at it, and so I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. I assume we're going to. I mean, we know now they've already got it. They released the. It's going to be the elite versus the inner circle in this blood and guts match, which is war games without being able to say the word war games. They're going to put a roof on the cage, which is going to stop the kind of new version. Triple H has evolved where you can go on top and jump off the thing. But one thing you need to keep in mind is we don't know how tall the cage is going to be. It could still be tall enough to do some intriguing things inside it, but inner circle versus the elite with Adam page and Cody and the young bucks and Omega against Jericho Santana Ortiz Sammy Guevara and Jake Hager. Uh, you can sign me up for that, even though I wasn't particularly into Jake Hager versus Dustin Rhodes in the opener. I, I believe they made a mistake. I would have started that thing with Sammy Guevara and Darby Allen. I just think that yeah, felt like a perfect opener um, that would have just ignited that crowd. I loved that match. Uh, there were a couple risks in it, no question about it, and a lot of it happened before the bell, but who cares? The bell's arbitrary, really, in terms of what you're viewing. You saw... 10, 11 minutes between the two of them. They both had moments to shine. Darby's a superstar. I thought they made him look very good, 99% of what they did with him on Wednesday in that handicap match. But I did not like that he sat there and watched watched the big screen while Moxley was getting attacked in the entryway or, or up there in the concourse. Like, why would he have been standing there? Like, either leave him in the back or attack him before that happens. Have Jericho and Guevara... As soon as he gets his attention diverted, hit him from behind and knock him down. And what's weird is, from I, I did not go back and listen to this, but I heard this. Apparently commentary said that's exactly what happened, and then they flipped to a wide shot, and you could see Darby Allen just standing on the ground watching the screen. That's, that's just uh, not great attention to detail Correct. there. Um, just a little bit on Dustin Rose and Jake Hager. Like that's another match that could have just been a straight up grudge match. Like oh, absolutely. Jake Hager, Jake Hager broke Dustin Rhodes' arm in a parking lot. Like that could have just been a straight up war. Instead, we involved Jake Hager's wife. Yeah. Which probably doesn't fly in 2020 with yeah. the, the the kiss that Dustin Rhodes gave her. Like I just feel like I don't know. I'm not sure necessarily sure why we had to go down that route when you basically you had the story written. You had this like this could have been a, an absolute grudge match uh, between these two guys. I don't know that it would have been any better than it is because I'm not necessarily sure how good of a professional wrestler Jake Hager is. Uh, I, I, I feel like I just watched Jack Swagger again so in that 2020. Is what you watch. Like I don't think he's gotten any better since then. No, I mean he is what he is, and. 
I mean, the match was fine. It just it seemed a little curious for an opener, and I think it ran a little longer than it needed to. Was really my only problem with it. We already talked about Allen and Guevara. Those two dudes are superstars. They're going to be main eventing shows sooner rather than later. Well, I mean, Darby's already main eventing. I guess Guevara did too on Wednesday night in Dynamite. They're excellent. Uh, Statlander and Nyla Rose, not so much. It's a mess. It was just a mess. That's that's a, that is exactly the way to put it. It's nothing against it? them, but. It just didn't click. It felt like it was in slow motion, especially trying to follow that tag match. And then there's just this Statlander character that is very hard to embrace because of the way in which they depict it. You and I uh, disagreed on this during the show. We were texting about it. (sighs) I... The character is what it is. I don't like it either. Like, I've I've sort of gone on the record on this show to say that I think this Chris Statlander's got a lot of talent. I think she's pretty good. The gimmick is what it is. It's, it's whatever. But to have an announcer in Jim Ross just openly crap on this gimmick, who it's somebody who was challenging for a championship. Like, it's not – this isn't Gilberg. Uh, that they're throwing out there as a joke. Like, we're supposed to take Chris Statlander seriously. And the fact that Jim Ross just, like, can't get over his disdain for this alien gimmick and is just openly burying it on commentary. Like, I just don't think that does anybody any good. No, and what I told you in kind of that I understood and I agreed with JR to an extent, but then you said, well, you can do that. You're not employed by the company, which is absolutely right. My thinking is they just need to treat this like, here's what Chris Statlander believes. We think it's preposterous, but she's a hell of a talent. Like, I think you can do this deal where she truly believes she's from the Andromeda Galaxy or whatever the heck, but it's not that they mock it. They just say, yeah, she might not be all there. I think you can make that into a character as opposed to, Excalibur talking about what galaxy she's from and almost like it's real. Like that part of it is a, is a leap too far for me to take in 2020, even though we also know in the back of our head, all of this is fictitious. Right. I just think that, I don't know. I just, it gets to the point where like I, I Jim Ross, isn't supposed to be a heel announcer. No, you're right. About like that. nobody, nobody on that commentary desk is supposed to be a heel announcer. Like, and it just kind of comes off as like, you remember when Michael Cole was just burying everything Daniel Bryan did on yeah. commentary uh, about nine or 10 years ago. Like that's what it's coming across to me as sure. Not as bad, but it's, it's, it's in the same ballpark. Well, it seems like he is speaking to a certain segment of people that he wants to make sure still respect him. Um, and so he's kind of like, he's crapping on it to get them to applaud for him. It's not the kind of thing that he would have done because I mean, think about some of the stuff he went with when he was working in WWE in the late nineties and early two thousands. I mean, the way he reacted to some of the things that the undertaker was doing from a supernatural standpoint or Kane or Katie Vick or things like that, that he sort of, it's not even that he's tacitly endorsing it. He's just acting like a character on screen that is seeing a show, that is seeing something that in that universe is reality. And there's a disconnect there, and I think it's just because he wants to seem like the smartest guy in the room, and it may be, it may not be reflecting well. Now we get to the, the polarizing thing. Orange Cassidy and Pac have a match 
that I just found wildly entertaining. Yeah, I mean, it was amongst the people that don't look. There is a certain group of folks that just aren't ever going to get Orange Cassidy, that aren't going to appreciate it, that aren't going to allow for it. That this are is the thing say I don't. Some real unfortunate stuff about him. I, I personally. I really enjoy Orange Cassidy. I find myself entertained every time he is on screen. I'm rooting for him, and I love the idea that he's getting so much often out of so little, which a lot exactly. of us should be doing. Shouldn't that shouldn't that appeal to old timers? You would like, think so. I mean, like, if you're you, over you doing nothing, then why would you do something? Like you can't like out of one side of your mouth criticize this current generation of professional wrestlers for doing too much. And and you know letting all of it hang out and kicking out of a million finishers, while also criticizing a dude who gets the biggest reactions in the company for literally doing nothing. Did you notice at a point in this match, Pac smiled, and it was not like a character kind of smile. It was a, wow, you're really good, and I'm having a lot of fun doing this. A smile yeah, you was- never saw him have when he worked in WWE. <laughs> Yeah, it was after after he rolled uh, from one side of the ring to the other, and and Pac like met him on the other side, and they go to a wide shot, and you could see Pac sort of looks into the crowd as the crowd goes crazy, and he can't help but crack a smile. And he should. I mean, I don't know what they wanted from that, but I can't imagine it was much different than what they got because I loved it. I laughed at times. I saw Orange Cassidy. It was just like he does nothing, but he can flip a switch and do a whole lot. It looked good. Him and Pac worked well together. I thought it got Orange Cassidy even more over. Uh, I don't necessarily think the Luchas had to come out and do that, but I know they were setting up this death triangle so that we can have more shapes on this AEW show. We've got the inner circle. We've got the death triangle. We've got Pentagon Jr., I feel like um, at some point the elite is going to be renamed like a trapezoid or something after one of them disappears. Like there's 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 even many more marketing opportunities to go down this road. But Pac and Orange Cassidy was a 100 percent, I would say across the board success for people that just like to be entertained and guys that are doing exactly what you pay them to do. Both those guys to me tore the house down. Yeah, and it just. Like for the people who hadn't seen Orange Cassidy work and was just familiar with the character, like not only can this dude play a great character, he can also go. I saw Rob Naylor and some other people that I guess worked with him in Chikara and worked with him elsewhere talking about how happy they were to see this for somebody that worked so hard that was such a genuinely nice dude. Like I've never spoken to Orange Cassidy. I feel like if I ever did that he'd probably play his character uh, or something to that degree. But you see photos of him with like kids doing a gimmick and a kid doing a gimmick and all this. Like, it seems like this is a good dude who has found gold in this character that he's been able to create, and AEW is letting him go with it. And unlike some of the things that they've allowed these guys to go with, they have found a guy who can do this for darn near ever and probably get over with it as long as they keep it in the right doses I think if you put Orange Cassidy on a card and have him work twice a year, he can have this match for a while, and I'll be ready to watch it every time. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've uh, expressed restraint uh, so far. They've sort of held back. I mean, they could have they could have sort of gone all in on Orange Cassidy the first time he got a big reaction, and they didn't. Uh, 
I, th- I think that AEW has played it perfectly so far. Like, I am nowhere close to tired oh, no. of the Orange Cassidy character. Uh, before we started, I was actually looking at AEW merch. Yeah, I thought about a, that. Sh- the shirt with just him on it, like sitting there, is pretty good. Like he has, he has two a, good shirts, I think. He has two good shirts. There's one that's just a straight up black and white photo of him. Yeah, 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 yeah a, That's the one I like. Then there's another like orange on it too, doesn't there, it? It's an orange shirt with just like the half-hearted thumbs up, and it says freshly squeezed. Honestly, yeah. Orange Cassidy might have the best merch of anybody in AEW. There's a dynamite coming to Albuquerque. Uh, in about a month and a half. So I'm, I was actually looking at maybe buying a shirt to wear to that thing. Yeah. Uh, and I might end up buying an Orange Cassidy shirt because the dude's just killing it right now. I, I like Dynamite more than I enjoyed Full Gear. Um, there were... Revolution. There was, there was, uh, yeah, you're right. There was not... Um, there was not the low of the Statlander match on that card like i thought that even though it didn't need to go as long as it did that sakura and riho was a better match one of the things that i saw people on twitter talking about like it it almost i saw a couple of people make this comparison like dynamite last week almost felt like a new like a uh what was it, like a new year's dash those shows that mm-hmm. new japan do right after wrestle kingdom like the day after wrestle kingdom because what do we see all the time from wwe after a pay-per-view rematches yeah, a ton of them. it's just like the next the next night on raw is just four rematches from the night before on a pay-per-view this dynamite set the stage for what's coming up next yeah it did and it definitely changed some gears in terms of what was going on um one other thing real quick and that is why would moxley take a beating for an entire match in order to sell the idea that he couldn't see when he could see the whole time and put himself in peril numerous times where he could have been beaten. I like I know he ends up winning the match, but like that was giving me a headache. Like after he revealed that he could see, it's just like, well dude, you almost got pinned and you allowed like double teams from behind and stuff because you didn't have the vision to stop it. But I know you came out in the end, but how many times could you have lost before that happened? Yeah, it's one of those things that don't think about it too hard. Don't think about it, it too hard. Uh, at least they got out from under that thing. Like I just didn't know how long they, how much more juice they could have gotten out of Moxley wearing an eye patch. So at least they got out of it. They were going to have Lance Archer debut that on that New Year's Dashish Dynamite, and they just decided not to. They decided to hold it back for a week or two. Then they did the thing with Jake. So some people think it's Lance Archer. Some people think you know with Rochester coming up, it could be Brody Lee. Um, Jake's promo was good. Um, he looks so big because there's a lot of small dudes in AEW, so he looked gigantic on top of just in terms of his height. But it was weird the way he treated Cody. Who do you think it should be? Do you think it should be Archer? Do you think that it should be? I mean, Brody Lee to me makes the most sense in terms of creating somebody that reminds me of Jake in terms of sinister facial expressions. Lance is more... I don't know. He seems more demonstrative. Luke Harper, we've gotten used to the Brody Lee persona over this last handful of years being kind of sinister and mysterious and that seems to play more to jake roberts yeah they i think that i think you're right there i think that jake roberts would be a natural fit with Brody lee i also like we know that lance archer's coming yes like lance archer lance archer was supposed to debut on dynamite so the 
for Jake to sort of come out there and talk talk in sort of cryptic terms about having a client and coming for Cody Rhodes a slice of the pie and yada yada yada, only for it to then be somebody that we already knew was coming, like that, I feel like that would be a bit of a disappointment. So in that term, I do think it'll probably end up being Brody Lee. Uh, a couple, somebody on Twitter, you know, had kind of did some detective work and. Uh, a couple of times during that promo, Jake the, Jake Roberts calls Cody Caesar. Yeah, right. It says, Hail Caesar. And obviously the Ides of March are March 15th, which falls on a Sunday this year. The next dynamite after the quote-unquote Ides of March is the one in Rochester, which is widely rumored to be when Brody Lee is going to debut. Yeah, and Lance Archer has tweeted out a snake um, emoji at least once in reference to Jake. Over the past few days, it seems like that is very, very misdirectiony. Even though AEW is not a promotion that always tries to surprise you, sometimes they do exactly what you're expecting them to do because the reason you're expecting it is because it's the right thing mm-hmm. to do. Which, with some of the questions that we've taken, Jordan said, "Is Matt Hardy too obvious for the leader role AEW is teasing him for?" And I say, "Yeah, in WWE, but in AEW, absolutely not. In fact, I think it would be a perfect choice." Yeah, I mean. You could call it obvious, but at the end of the day, like they have teased pretty obviously about three or four different people uh, for the Exalted One, the leader of the Dark Order. And Matt is clearly building something on Free the Delete, um, that YouTube show that he's doing now. Um, The Young Bucks actually appeared uh, on last week's episode, and that's supposed to continue on this week's episode. Uh, People are still openly wondering whether Matt Hardy's going to go to NXT while he has the executive vice presidents of AEW on his YouTube show. Like let's right. Like we don't have to read into that thing. No, like, no. like he's not going to have the young bucks on free the delete. If he's, if there's any shot whatsoever that he's going to remain in WWE. Yeah. I mean, and look, the one thing the dark order needs is to be entertaining and intriguing. And, Really, the only thing you care about now is who this person is going to be. Like, I still don't care when they work. Not that there's anything, like, technically wrong with it, but it's never going to stand out. And then you've got Silver and this other guy wearing masks, even though we know who they are. But nobody really cares about those guys either. Matt Hardy is somebody we know. If it's him, there's going to be entertaining, crazy, who-knows-what, bat-bleep-insane kind of segments that probably come from it with full creativity and license for Matt Hardy. That, to me, is exactly what the Dark Order needs. They either need to be booked in a very creative fashion or dropped off on the side of the road never to be picked up again in terms of that, care, in terms of that gimmick, which is why I look at that and I say, well, who's, on, who's out there they could get? I know they originally wanted Marty Skrull, and that was the plan. If that's not going to be the plan, then I think Matt Hardy's what you do because then you just let Matt Hardy write it, and at the very least, you know it's going to be interesting. I hope so. Like, I kind of would want to see some sort of uh, deviation from Broken Matt. Like, we've seen Broken Matt. Right. Like, you can you can sort of kind of go down that same path, but I hope it's, you know, got a d- couple of different turns, a couple of different curves into it, so it's not just the same thing we saw in Impact. Agreed. Jordan says, two questions. Who do you book for Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania? I got no freaking clue. Nope. I don't Drew even know Gulak. if he's on the card. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it could be Gulak. I mean, you know that, you know that match would be good, but I, I don't know who cares. Like, 
Yeah, Maybe nobody cares something. about Drew Gulag, but that's going to be a really good match. I, hopefully it's I, not Baron Corbin. I mean, I don't know. They'll do mm. something with Daniel Bryan, but he's got no direction. And then the second question, what is the main event for WrestleMania 37 that WWE should start backwards booking for after this year's WrestleMania? Again, I've got no clue because I don't even know. I just have no faith. Like, what would I be doing? I would be getting Keith Lee ready. That's what I would be doing. And if you want to do something fun with Daniel Bryan, then I wish Matt Riddle was free. But I know better than to say that. Keith Lee, I could actually see potentially being in a high-profile match at next WrestleMania. The cynical part of me says that the main event of WrestleMania 37 is going to be Brock Lesnar holding a championship the Rock. against no against the next person that we've decided is going to be the person to slay Brock so Lesnar. So that's Keith Lee. Yeah, sure. Like, like I just feel like I can, I can just see it. Like I know we're so high on Drew McIntyre right now, but I can just see him winning the championship at WrestleMania. Uh, three months, two or three months down the road when ratings haven't moved at all, Vince McMahon getting sick of it and just putting the title back on Brock Lesnar and we start this process all over again. I would also tell you that one to at least keep in the back of your mind might be CM Punk. A year from now, maybe. Um, with with him doing a little bit of work here and there, um, I could at least, I could see at least speculating about that a little bit more so than maybe this year. Well. Um, he's, he's over 40, so he'll fit right in. Exactly. Now's the time for him to main event. Um, Randall says, thoughts on the booking of Ricochet and Cedric Alexander. Rumors of them being buried. Ain't no rumors, bro. Both them boys <laughs> got buried. Cedric Alexander's not even on the show. Like, I mean. And Ricochet <laughs> lost to Riddick Moss yeah. last week on TV after being just humiliated by Brock Lesnar. Listen, in, I, in Saudi. That dude needs to get out of WWE. I know Ricochet doesn't cut a good promo. Like, I know that. But Should have never taken a mask off. That dude looks like a million bucks. Yep. That dude can do literally anything. Gracefully. In a too. wrestling ring. Gracefully. Like, that... Like, I'm not sure WWE... Like, we talk a lot about WWE dropping the ball on guys. I'm not sure they've dropped a ball harder. Than, than Ricochet. Man. Yeah, it's been bad, and scripting his promos haven't helped him. That dude needs to get out of that company. I just don't see it working. I think Vince has given up on him almost entirely. The Cedric thing, they pushed Cedric, then they killed Cedric. Vince decided he hated Cedric. That's a shame. Both those guys are really, really talented. Um, Opinion of Jake being in AEW and what he could do for company from Ricky, I believe it is. I mean, I think Jake, if his head's on straight, um, could be great because he's an awesome promo and his mind for the business is and has always been as highly regarded as it gets. The problem is, and several journalists have made this point, nobody has booked Jake in the last decade that has not lived to regret it. I am, my fingers are crossed that this one will change that because it might be good for him, even though wrestling seems to always cause problems for him just because of the excess and everything else that he endured while he was in the business. But Jake Roberts, with his mind right, caring, uh, yeah, that's a good thing. This was the first time we'd seen Jake on, like, a actually televised wrestling show, I think since 2012. Mm -hmm. Like, they did some sort of Raw reunion show or whatever they were calling it, just an excuse to bring back a bunch of old dudes on an episode of Raw. 
Um, and he, he rolled out and, and threw the snake at the shield. Like I, I remember, I remember this show because, uh, Damien gets put on Dean Ambrose and Dean Ambrose cannot help but smile during it because you can just tell like this dude loves Jake Roberts and loves this moment. That's, that's, I'm pretty sure that's the last time we have seen Jake on this level of a professional wrestling show. Like he, he seems to have everything in order. Like if you watch the res the resurrection resurrection yeah. of Jake the Snake, um, I'm pretty sure it's still on Netflix. That documentary that that they did, sort of chronicling his recovery and his journey through DDP yoga and everything. He looks he looks phenomenal. And this feels like you have him because you have DDP in the fold. Yeah, and that Page is probably behind this, which is a good thing because if Page is there. Maybe he's able to continue to play life coach to Jake and, and make sure he doesn't fall back into his old ways. And props to AEW for using these old guys, oh, older absolutely. guys, the abs- the way that they should be used. Like, whereas WWE has a 53-year-old universal champion right now, we've, we're seeing Arn Anderson managing Cody. We're seeing Tully, uh, Tully managing Sean Spears, even though that's not working. Um, hey, well, they're but, looking for a ta- they're looking for a tag partner right now. Sure. Sure, I, I think that has that has less to do with Tolly and and more to do with Sean Spears. Yeah, Sean Spears just great. is not Sean Spears. You realize that he was about where he should have been. He's just a dude. Yeah, he's, he's just, just a guy. guy. He's a, he's a, he's a he's a hand, but he's just a guy. Yeah, and now we've got Jake the Snake Roberts bringing in somebody else. So like we're using these established stars to get over quote-unquote, new talent. Also, you can also really apply Jericho to that list because yeah. even though he's working matches, uh, he's done a lot for Sammy Guevara and for Santana and for Ortiz. Those are guys that I don't know where they would be without what he has been able to do for them. Just just being associated with him and the way he has, he has carefully made sure that just about everything that those guys are associated with has enhanced them has made them better. And I think all of them are more confident, and I like all three of them. So Ortiz is a funny dude. Their reaction to getting thrown out of that uh, that main event match at Revolution by Aubrey Edwards with the big wind-up and, yeah, yeah. and the toss, and they basically took a bump on the apron, that was pretty funny. Um, let's see if there's anything else. Uh, is there any NXT talk? To have right now, what'd you think of the Gargano sit down with Mauro Ronaldo last week? I thought that was great stuff. See, like that. I was like one of the few that didn't love it. Apparently, really, I saw like it was universally loved. I thought it was very fake. Like I thought Mauro came across super fake in it. Um, I understood that they were going to drag it out, and I knew what they were doing. But everybody else just said, "Oh, Mauro was great." Like I loved what he was asking. It just came across so phony to me, and maybe that's just because I know it's phony. And so it's impossible for me to see it, but everybody loved it, and I was just like, this is very contrived to me. I'm not exactly sure where we go. Like, there's a couple of different... Like, you can't have Finn Balor not work at Tampa, even though we're clearly building to him versus Walter at TakeOver Dublin. Well, or or we're going to do that in Tampa and something else in Dublin, because that, that TakeOver's after. But the thing, if you want to do that, but is right, Finn, like, Finn gets a mystery partner and takes on the other two members of like that. Uh, that would be fine. That would be fine. But, like, you can't... Like, TakeOver Dublin has to be main evented by Walter versus Finn Balor. I would hope like that, that they did. 
flat I mean, out. Maybe you could rematch it, but I wouldn't do it that way. I would just have um, those other two names escape me, but just fi- Finn can go find somebody to be a partner. Finn is not a heel anymore. He's just kind of a badass baby face that's no nonsense, which is the best character we've seen him with, I don't know, ever, at least yeah. in a WWE employed situation. Um, this guy is awesome. This guy is the face of a promotion. This guy, you have to imagine like Heyman and some of those dudes up on the main roster are like, man, what the hell? Like, how badly did we misuse this dude when he was on the main roster? It's also just really funny to me. Like, I know we're, we we were talking about Cody's tattoo, and Finn's got a couple of tattoos yeah. now. He's got the one on his hand. But, like, the fact that we're, we've got this, like, badass, just, like, just straight-up badass guy who's got, like, a cartoon T-Rex on his forearm. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's funny to me. It's very... It's very Fergal Devitt of him. It, it is. He's it a is. unique guy. I mean, he plays with Legos. Or he did when they did that special on him a few years ago. Maybe that's changed. Maybe now he just plays with Kathy Kelly. Uh, he's actually married to, like, a Fox Sports Deportes host. Oh, I thought he married Kathy Kelly. No. I guess no. they broke it off. Yeah, They, they were together for a time, but I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure he landed on his feet. I'm he sure did. she did as well. You, 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 could, you could find her on Instagram. He did. All right. Good work. Um, trying to think if there's anything else. Oh yeah, Velveteen Dream looks like maybe we're doing him and Adam Cole. I, that might be the break. That might be the stop of the Adam Cole kickout stuff because Velveteen ain't ready for this. That cage match was not very good. Velveteen has regressed a lot since his return. A lot of it not on him, but his flaws are definitely starting to creep more to the surface here. Uh, this 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 whole deal, those two cage matches, the way that Reina Gonzalez was involved, or whatever her name is, Gonzalez was involved in that first one, and how dumb Tegan Knox looked, and then what they did with Velveteen and Roderick Strong with Velveteen intentionally losing a match, and then getting Adam Cole in there, and I just I don't know that I care right now about Velveteen Dream and Adam Cole. Do you think Velveteen might? St- still be hurt a little bit like obviously there's some ring rust there that he's yet to knock off but like i remember his injury being one of those sort of like vague not sure when he's going to be back like back injury things like it wasn't just sort of like okay he's got a sprained knee he'll be back in three weeks like it was one of those things i remember dave Meltzer sort of saying like they don't know if when he's going to be back and obviously he's back now but i'm not like i wouldn't be surprised if it came out in the next couple of weeks that, you know, maybe he's still dealing with something. Uh, maybe so. Um, definitely doesn't look very good in the ring at this point in time. Um, but, I mean, there's still a lot to like about NXT's product. AEW is clearly the best show right now. I don't, I don't think there's much argument about it. Um, this past Dynamite wasn't the best one that you've ever seen, but they were on a string of just outstanding TV. I think they'll probably be back to form this week, but they're making us care about a tremendous amount of people. And again, the fact that Orange Cassidy, when he is on screen, I just want to sit there and watch him. I still don't care a lick about Chuck Taylor, and I really don't care about Trent either, but at least they're trying with a secondary feud to create something with this triangle group and the best friends where Orange Cassidy is still involved in it, and they're doing a little bit more with the Luchas because you put Lucha, bro, you put Ray Phoenix and Pentagon and Pac together. That's a pretty formidable trio. And I don't necessarily think I've seen some criticism online 
not maybe maybe criticism is a bit of a strong word, but I've seen some people sort of wonder whether or not AEW was becoming too heavily reliant upon factions. Obviously, we have the elite, we have the inner circle, and now we have the death triangle, which I know we've talked about whether or not we like that name or yeah. not, but we certainly like the three people involved. Um, I don't necessarily think that AEW is too reliant upon factions. Like I'm, I don't have any problem with adding a third faction into the mix. Like we've seen, you know, some of WWE's biggest business days uh, in during the Attitude Era. That place was just filled with factions. Yeah, I also think there's something to be said for there's a whole lot of factions in Japan. There's some inspiration from that. There's some inspiration also from UWF. Um, they're trying to recreate some of that booking in terms of the strategy. But the Bucks already kind of let the cat out of the bag on the cruise that a year from now we're going to have a trios title match. Think about the trios that you're creating here if, you, if you're still there a year from now. You've got this death triangle. I think it makes sense to do Santana Ortiz and Sammy Guevara mm-hmm. potentially as a trio. You've got the best friends in Orange Cassidy. You've got uh, the Bucks and somebody where it would make sense for them to be a trio. Maybe it's Kenny Omega at that point in time. Who knows? But all of a sudden you're creating kind of in the jungle. You've got the Jungle Express right now. There's a lot. There's a, And you've even got MJF and the Butcher and the Blade or MJF, Wardlow, and a third person to be named later. Uh, they're creating enough of these. They're not really factions, but these arrangements, these partnerships, these relationships that could – develop into making the trios division something really special by the time they get there. We've seen trios matches just tear houses down. Right. Especially and, in Mexico. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Chikara does the King of Trios tournament every single year. Um, listen, if you want to bring that style of professional wrestling to sort of a national American audience, like you'll get no argument from me. I'm, I'm all in. I mean, I'm just trying to look at it and, and put a crystal ball on it and say, well, why are you spending so much time creating groups of three? And there has to be a reason. And because the Bucks have mentioned that championship, it would make sense to go down that road. Uh, even Moxley, Darby Allen, and somebody. Like, you could have almost everybody in the company involved in a trio that makes sense and do a trio's version of, like, a Crockett Cup or a tag team tournament or something like that, and I, I think you could make people buy into it. Even the Dark Order, with the whoever the Exalted One turns out to be, plus Evil Uno and uh, Stu Grayson, they could also potentially be a part of this. So all that is probably something to keep an eye on. Maybe Tully could work with Sean Spears and whoever they're going to find on Twitter. Eventually, maybe that's going to be the perfect partner is Tully's going to say it's him. And Tully's going to be Sean Spears' partner. And then, for the first time ever, we're going to care about Sean Spears because we want to see Tully Blanchard hit somebody with a slingshot suplex at his age. <laughs> just get, just have Tully and Arn back together. Oh, my gosh. Put the titles on them and leave them there forever. Have, like, Tully and Arn in 2020 against the Young Bucks. <laughs> and, then, and we've already seen Ricky Morton, too. So you could bring the rock and roll back. And roll back Arn and Tully versus Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson too. While you're at it, yeah, I think we're we're delving too far into WWE's I'm just, territory. I'm just trying now. to have fun here. Uh, there's not enough fun sometimes in pro wrestling. AEW has been fun. All right, does that cover it, or have we missed something? 
congratulations to Sami Zayn for winning a main roster championship. Can you believe that's the first main roster championship he's won? I mean, I can because I've seen the way they've handled that character from the very moment when he, that he left got NXT up. and showed up in that match with John Cena. The sky seemed to be the limit. Yeah, uh, didn't work out that way, and I don't think a lot. Some of it was probably Sami's attitude, but a lot of it was. I don't think it's Sammy's attitude more. Uh, I think it's necessarily just like his demeanor. Like he talks a lot. Like he is. Right, that's what I mean. What, what, what I mean. you see from Sammy Zayn on television screen is not very far off from what he is in real life, apparently. Like you've even had Triple H say this. Like you spend like 10 minutes in a room with Sammy Zayn, you're, gonna, you're tired of Sammy Zayn at that point. Right. So that's, that's not great, necessarily. Um, but like I, I actually. I thought that match was okay. Like, well, at least they didn't have like, Braun beat all I, three of them. That's exactly what I thought was going to happen. Like, I, I thought this was just going to be another example of Braun Strowman being able to do just physically impossible things, yet he can't beat Brock Lesnar. Also, if you want to talk about Orange Cassidy not giving a damn, uh, how about Orange Nakamura? Or Ruby Nakamura? Because I'm pretty sure Orange Cassidy's kicks, even when he's not trying were harder than some of the boots Nakamura was laying in last night at the chamber. This dude has checked on out. Like, he does not care. That's sad. Well, out we got a lot of great Nakamura. At this point, he can do whatever he wants. Right, I got no, No, I agree. But I'm just, it's sad that he signed a new contract recently. Yeah, that dude probably should just so, be gone. They talked about, just, there, we had that one final question about uh, who would you fire? And I hate doing that, but Nakamura is a dude that probably shouldn't be employed anymore. I mean, we talked about Ricochet as well. Like, if we're talking about guys elsewhere. that we would like to be, like, pulled away from WWE, like, Cesaro, by the way, like, I know we sort of talk ourselves into Cesaro, like, every year and a half. But, like, this dude has, like, some of the best uh, merchandise that WWE is putting out these days. Like, I really like the entrance. The music's cool, like the track jacket. Yeah. Like for the life of me, I just don't understand. I, I don't understand how we're just never going to get to that place with Cesaro. But we aren't ever going to get there. We're never. We're never going. And like, if you listen to like the New Day has a podcast. Like they they drop a new uh, episode every Monday, and every time, like it seems like every single episode, they go off on a tangent, like a two or three minute tangent of just like how 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 much they love Cesaro and how great Cesaro is. And like they do that every single episode and it just seems like You ever heard anybody sto- say anything negative about him? Like inside I, the I mean, company? I haven't. I mean, outside of what Vince McMahon portrays on screen. Well, yeah, I mean other than Vince, but I'm just talking about like his contemporaries and anybody yeah. that works in that company. Nobody has anything negative to say about that guy. Because He's great. I, I wish I could see him elsewhere where they could push him hard, but you at least you can still see his greatness even when they're not booking him very well. All he does is go out there and kill it with whatever they ask him to do. He's like a high-end R-Truth. <laughs> Somebody else asked us, why is Rusev not on our screen every week? Real simple. They don't know what to do with him. And Vince just doesn't seem to care enough. Uh, and that's not going to change. I don't know what uh, the latest on his contract status was, but I know Lana signed a new deal, but yeah. I don't think he ever did. Please let that man get out of that company. 
Like there are so many like the revival are clearly getting out of that company at yeah. the first chance. They're that they going get, to AEW for sure. And Matt Hardy, as we know, is is most likely going to end up in AEW here pretty soon. Rusev's another guy that just needs to get away. No, no doubt about that. Um, and did, in terms of like who would you fire, I think the other way you look at that question is just who have you just kind of we've done all we can do with this. It's probably trying. It's probably uh, probably time to cut bait and just kind of move on. And I'm trying to think of guys in WWE where that's the case. I think Eric it's possible Rowan. Eric Rowan's the top of that list. Eric Rowan with his like robot spider. spider. Can you believe they put that on TV? I'm glad. I'm glad that was the the reveal. I'm glad we built up whatever was in this crawfish cage for like three months, only for it to be a robot damn spider. I just I can't believe they said, "All right, we're going to go with this." Like, here's the thing, though. Like, I would actually be really entertained if they just went all in on the spider now. Like, if Eric Rowan just like dropped this robot spider on people's faces after and every they single match like Daniel now. Stern in Home Alone. Exactly. But, like, I feel like that was just WWE threw that out there so they could get out from under it, and now we're never going to see it again. Um, trying to think if there are any, like, other people that jumped to mind. It's just kind of, we kind of come to the end of. This is a very savage question, by the way. It is a savage question. That's why I'm attacking it as we've kind of done all we can do, or WWE has done all that they are going to do with this person. And there's just not much there to attract you to want to see said person. Is there anybody else that, based on that criteria, would come to mind? Maybe some of the women. Sarah Logan. Yeah. She's she's <laughs> taking a beating on this podcast. My wife, by the way, last night, as Sarah Logan made her entrance. Uh, Ooh, who was that? She said, no, she said, it looks like Bass Pro Shops threw up. Wow. That's accurate, unfortunately. Also, another another quote was uh, during the backstage interview with Natalia. Uh, was the the quote was "We're still doing this with Natalia." Mm. Not a fan of that chamber match. One Angela Cerna. Yeah, clearly not not into that one. What about Bobby Roode? Robert Roode. Yeah. At least he's got a beard now instead of that. Chad mustache. Gable's not on TV. Shorty G. He should be in AEW or New Japan. Yeah, he should. Absolutely annihilating people and doing a good job. Um, yeah, like you, you send us stuff at Zone Wrestling. You tell us how to answer this question. I don't want to take people's jobs. I'm not really down with that whole idea, but the question is fascinating. I think it depends on how you approach it as to how it would make sense of letting certain people go. WWE's this whole, we're going to get everybody and then we're going to sit them at home, and I, and I hate that because there are a lot of talented people and misused people that, could be doing good work elsewhere, but just can't find their way to actually get there. And that's that's unfortunate. Well, it has not been a month, Brandon. It's been two weeks. So I'm sure we'll still get uh, I'm still we'll, I'm still I'm sure we're still getting like complaints. I didn't get any after the last one, or maybe I just didn't see them. <laughs> that the show has not been every week. Well, we're trying, folks. We're yeah, trying. It has not been. There will be another show probably in two more weeks. And that will get us to where we will do something for WrestleMania. Um, but we'll give ourselves a couple more weeks of TV that we can react to across the board. If a big story were to break, maybe we'd do something in emergency. Like if WrestleMania gets canceled, yeah, we'll probably 
we'll probably break in and do something to that degree. But other than that, this has been, you know, hour and 45 minutes of pro wrestling talk. So hopefully that'll satiate you. I think it's kind of, I, I was trying to rack my brain and see if there's anything else that I have forgotten that I wanted to hit. There's a few questions we didn't get to, but if we didn't get to it, we'll, uh, we'll try to get to it next time. Um, all right, Brandon, I, you're going to go to dynamite, right? In a month and a half or so. Yeah, I think it's, I need to check a calendar. I think it's like May 13th or something like that, but yeah, oh, okay, I'll be there. Yeah. Well, yeah. That'll, that'll Tickets be go good. on sale this Friday. That'll be good. As long as COVID-19 doesn't cancel it. Yeah. It's going to be a full-blown, just straight-up plague by then. Yeah, well, I think that, I think the extremes are wrong. I don't think it's a bubonic plague. I don't think it's nothing. I think it's somewhere in the middle. And hopefully everybody else out there is not going to get sick. I know I am. My wife's a doctor. So I've already <laughs> just kind of prepared for it. I'm just hoping there's a vaccine. That's the only thing, really. Like, I know it's eventually going to be okay. But until the vaccine's there, I'm kind of cool on not getting it. Yeah. This is where I stand. All right, guys, follow us at Zone Wrestling. Brandon's at Hack Haney. I'm at Jmart Zone. David is at David Reed Radio, and we are out of here.